Hey everybody, welcome to the Extra Point. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know is still looking to get some Memphis Grizzlies playoff tickets. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. It's uh, I'm good for the weekend. Got any big plans? Uh, it's me and Aiden's one year anniversary, so we got a couple things we got lined up. I'm happy to hear y'all gonna have a great anniversary weekend. Happy early anniversary to you guys. And for wrestling fans, it's a big weekend for us as well because it's WrestleMania weekend, which, of course, I'll be giving my predictions to at the end of the show. In addition to that, Ethan and I are going to look at the latest free agency buzz as well as talk about the latest NFL rule changes. And then we're going to take a look at the NBA playoff picture as it stands today. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the extraport.net. I repeat, the extraport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Now, first things first, as far as our college football player spotlight, I will have my latest mock draft coming out early next week. I'm going to be working on it a lot this weekend because I'm finally going to be off work. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, so let's get to some league news, starting with the retirement of safety, Malcolm Jenkins. He announced it um, just a couple days ago that he'd be retiring from the NFL after 13 seasons, two Super Bowl rings, and three Pro Bowls. So congratulations to him. Another retirement that took place this week that caught the league by storm, head coach of the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, decided to retire, um, and he will be replaced by the team's defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles. Uh, Arians will be moving on to a front office position. So, I mean, since uh, Bruce Arians took over the Bucks just a few years ago, it's been an up and down time. But, of course, it always looks good when you end up with the Super Bowl. So, Ethan, with Todd Bowles replacing Arians, do you feel like this is an upgrade, downgrade? How do you feel like this is going to affect the Bucks? Um, I'm not going to say it's a downgrade. I think it's going to be kind of in a similar vein of like they're just going to stay in the same position. Because honestly, the same infrastructure is still in place. You have the same coaching staff. You just have upgraded your DC to the head coach. And he might bring a different philosophy. Being a defensive coordinator, he might bring a defense first philosophy. But I mean, you have everyone left intact. You still have some Brady on um, we I know we're still waiting to hear what Grant's going to do, but more than likely, if he comes back, he's going to be back in tow with Brady. So you still have a lot of the pieces left, and it's not like Bruce Arians is completely gone from the organization. He just stepped down from coaching, so you still have that um that pecking order um that you used to have, and you just break up on, you just elevate one particular member. Yeah, I agree with you. Like you mentioned, they still have a lot of key pieces in place. I think that when looking at Todd Bowles, I mean, he's had he's had uh, head coaching experience. I mean, had was one of honestly the better um, coaches for the Jets. Uh, Sands, Rex Ryan taking them to what a 10-6 season they just narrowly missed the playoffs no other team I mean no other coach has gotten them that many wins and I mean like you mentioned he's a great defensive mind I think that as a coach who has a lot of head coaching experience I think that he'll be just fine in that role and I think as you mentioned I think the Bucks are pretty much going to be in the same position they're bringing back Tom Brady they were able to bring back Carlton Davis and other valuable guys in addition to some free agents so I mean Truthfully, regardless of who the coach was, I still would consider them the favorites of the NFC South. And so with Bruce Arians, I think that that's going to remain the case. Um, but all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the new NFL rules that were put into place after the coaches meeting. One of the first and most biggest ones is that um, all teams will be required to hire a minority offensive assistant coach on their staff for this upcoming 2022 season, whether that be a female as a coach or a person of color added to the offensive staff. NFL teams are now required to do it. Now, while there are still teams out there that already have that. Ethan, what are what is your mindset on this new rule? Um talking about the uh, overtime rule? No, the minority coach. We'll get I, to the overtime one in a second. I think it's um I don't know. I I'm pro it because I do think the minorities need they need to earn a right to be able to coach in the NFL. But I'm also kind of against it because it's like you're forcing people to do it. Like, yeah. as a black man, if I were to get a job, I don't want to get a job because somebody basically told you, like, hey, you have to hire someone that's black. I would want to 
individuals, but it's also like I don't want it to be something to where people are just given jobs because they have to meet a certain status quo because of the league mandated rule. Yeah, I feel you on that. I think that I think it go either way. I feel like if a team really wanted to hire a minority coach, whether like I said that be a person of color or a woman, it should be based more so on merit rather than requirement. Because I mean, somebody could just hire someone like to fill the status quo, but like not really give them a chance or not really give them opportunities or space to grow just because that's not really what they wanted to do in the first place. So I think that by putting this rule in place, it kind of, I don't know, I feel like not every team, but some teams may just use that as a way to not necessarily stop the progress of a coach, but at the very least, just not really give them as much of an opportunity as they should have gotten. It might just be something that they felt like they had to do. But you kind of mentioned it earlier, the new overtime uh, playoff rules, and here is what it has been updated to. Uh, Both teams will have the opportunity to possess the ball in overtime during the postseason. If the score is tied after each team has possessed the ball, the next score wins. If the team kicking off the start the overtime period scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession, that team that received, I mean, that kicked off, is the winner. So, I mean, after this past season's playoff games, I mean, it was pretty safe to say that a lot of people were banging the drum for overtime changes. So, Ethan, how do you feel about this new look? Um, honestly, I think it's still going to boil down to defense. Like, I think that's the whole – I think I did agree somewhat to, to let both teams possess the ball. But the reality of it is, regardless of – the ball, your team's going to have to get a stop. And that's been the big thing this teams, I think, in these playoffs. And the success of it is, a lot of times you get a team that's playing a full, a full, uh, full quarter of the football, and then you have overtime and your defense is gas. And that's the advantage to the offense. So I think it's still going to be a situation to where offenses have advantages because you're going to have um, me personally, I mean, I said it before, but I like sudden death. I feel like not necessarily it's bailing out a defense by giving their offense a chance, but I feel like it's kind of defense. You're supposed to play defense. You're supposed to make those plays to stop the opposition from scoring. I know that's much easier said than done, but even still, I just feel like It's used as a way to kind of, one, extend the game. But, two, I feel like if you really – defenses should be able to do their job. If you're getting paid millions of dollars, you should be able to do this. Yes, I know it's a much longer game, and I'm sure you're tired, but even still, I feel like it takes away, I guess, the excitement of an overtime because I like kind of the pressure of you have to go down there. If you don't stop them from scoring, that's it. And I think that's what kind of made, you know – playoffs for football very unique because not many other sports are like that like with basketball you get into a certain amount of time baseball has a similar to first person well you still both teams get an opportunity to score but football is like sudden death you either get it or you don't and personally I really like that philosophy I mean on the one hand I'm happy that it is just for playoff games but even still I just feel like I don't know it kind of takes the I'm not gonna say the fun out of overtime but I think that it could just be one of those things where it's like, well, what if one team scores, other team scores? And it just goes back and forth, back and forth. You're just going to find yourself having the same problem that you were trying to avoid in the first place. But speaking of problems to avoid, let's be honest. The quarterback market is always taking shape. It's always changing. And we saw that when the Browns gave quarterback Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed $230 million contract over the next Five years. That's a lot of money. So much so that NFL owners are weighing in. For example, Ravens owner Steve Bashotti, who talked about Watson's deal, who said, I don't know that he should have been the first guy to get a fully guaranteed contract. To me, that's something that is groundbreaking. It'll make negotiations harder with others. Now, personal things aside, no matter what we think about, you know, his allegations and all that other stuff. Ethan, in your opinion, do you think Deshaun Watson was worth the contract that he got? No. I think that he was on his way to proving that he was worth that type of contract. Granted, I understand that, yes, he, uh, when he was playing the previous year, he showed, he showed himself to be of the caliber of a top five quarterback. But, it's 
also a flip side to that coin. He led the NFL in passing yards because he was on a team that couldn't run the ball and a team that was always behind. And they had to always, um, they had to pass the ball a lot. So you're able to get a lot of passing numbers. So I think with that being in total, and he also, in my opinion, in order to win that type of, get that type of contract, you have to win something. Like he hasn't, he hadn't won anything. He, I think he might have made the playoffs. I might be mistaken. He made the playoffs, I believe, twice. Yeah. But, yeah, you made the playoffs twice. I highly doubt. I don't think you won any of the playoff games you were in. He did. He beat the Bills that okay. year. And then they lost to the, um, what's it called? They had that big lead on the Chiefs and ended up losing it. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, I forgot all about that. That's why. That's what happens when someone doesn't play for a year. You forget about their accomplishments. Very true. But, but yeah, like you, you only won one playoff game. You have guys out here that are, in my opinion, more proven. I.e., Lamar Jackson. Um, in my opinion, he should have been the person, especially given with, given the nature of how um, dependent the Ravens' offense is on Lamar. He should have been the person that got there, or either Patrick Mahomes, one of the two. Yeah, I don't think he should have got that kind of money either because if I'm forking over that much, you have to get me a Super Bowl, at least one. Because if you're paying somebody over $200 million fully guaranteed, that means you've seen Super Bowl potential. You know you're going to be a perennial playoff contender. This is a guy that is a can't-miss player. And don't get me wrong, I think Deshaun Watson is a bad, bad man. I think he's a great quarterback. I think, but this first year, I'm sure it's going to be some rust considering he didn't play a year, then I'm sure a suspension is bound to be happening as well. But with that being said, like, I, I think that's a lot of money. Like, as you mentioned, like, if you look at accomplishments, Lamar Jackson has accomplished more. And Bashadi mentioned that it's going to make it harder to negotiate for other quarterback deals because, I mean, Lamar could look at that deal and be like, this is the benchmark. I want at least as much as Deshaun got, and rightfully so, because he's done more in his career than Deshaun has. And so I don't like it in terms of the money. Do I think that Bashadi probably should have called him out specifically? Not necessarily, but I do understand where he's coming from. All right, speaking of knowing where teams are coming from, let's be honest, so much turmoil has taken in free agency. It's clear that there are teams who are hungry to bring in more talent. A trio of those teams are the New York Jets, the Green Bay Packers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. As we all know, the Packers and Chiefs both traded away their number one wide receivers, while the Jets are still trying to find theirs. So much so that all three teams have been heavily engaged in potential trade talks to get number one receivers. Big names that we've heard as of late, A.J. Brown, um, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, a trio of guys who are upcoming, getting going to be getting upcoming contract extensions. So, Ethan, of those three teams that I just mentioned, which one do you think is more likely to really pull the trigger to get a number one wide receiver? Uh, I think I'm going to have to say the Jets. And the reason being is I think that they might have found – finally found their quarterback of the future in Zach Wilson. Yes, he had a really up and down rookie year, but he showed flashes, and in those flashes, he looked really good. And it's also, in my opinion, it's hard to fully get the value, be able to judge the value of a quarterback when you have him devoid of weapons. So I think the Jets, they might go ahead and pull the trigger. I'm going to call it for DK Metcalf, because they're not getting AJ Brown. They have me and my whole organization messed up. And they're going to see what they truly have. Yeah, I feel you on that. The thing, I would probably say Chiefs. And the main reason why I would say Chiefs is it's clear that they're not afraid to take chances. And even if those chances mean that they don't exactly add to their defense in the way that a lot of people, including myself, think they should, they're going to make sure that their offensive stacked. I mean, we see they gave MVS a good amount of money. That's cool. Miko Harmon is there, but he really hasn't produced the way that everybody thought he would. This could potentially be the year change that, but still, that's kind of up in the air. Juju Smith-Schuster, we know that he is not – meant to be a number one wide receiver. 
And I think that the Chiefs are aware of that. Like, sure, they could go in the draft and try to get a rookie option, but realistically, I think that because, like I said, they are one of those teams that is willing to take chances, they'd be the one to do it. The Jets are another team that I could see possibly making that move, especially because they have more draft capital. They have a pick, two top ten picks. So I could definitely see that. But in terms of, like, just going all in, I could see the Chiefs being the one to do it. Speaking of going all in, there are multiple teams that want the services of Bobby Wagner. However, it seems that one particular team is not willing to reach his asking price. Um, It's been reported that Bobby Wagner is hoping to sign a one-year $11 million deal But after visiting the Rams, it seems that their chances of signing him are slim after being after being unwilling to reach his contract demands. He also visited the Baltimore Ravens, who could potentially be a solid fit as well. So, Ethan, in your opinion, do you think that the Rams will be able to pull off the signing of Bobby Wagner or does he end up somewhere else? I won't even be biased and just say Baltimore. There's other teams out there. Yeah, unfortunately, I would take the Rams as well over the field. I mean, Bobby Wagner's been a West Coast boy his whole life, as you mentioned, played for Seattle for a decade, um, then playing. And it's clear that he wasn't happy with how things ended in Seattle. You play for the Rams, you get to play them twice a year, not to mention you're on the same defense as presumably Aaron Donald, who we believe is coming back, Jalen Ramsey, an explosive offense as well. I mean, I love my Ravens. Don't get me wrong, but if I had to pick between playing in L.A. and in Baltimore, I would pick L.A. Now, sure, L.A. I'm not L.A. Oh, gosh. I'm sure Baltimore has more historical value. I mean, of course, you get to follow in the lineage of other great linebackers, like namely Ray Lewis, and their defense is also pretty stout as well. But I think that Rams end up pulling it out to my dismay. All right, last piece. Another player whose name has been mentioned a lot lately is cornerback James Bradbury, who just a couple seasons ago looked to be a clear number one corner for the Giants, but this past season brought that into question, so much so that the Giants are looking to potentially ship James Bradbury off. James Bradbury has had a solid career, could potentially be a number one corner for some teams, at best maybe a number two. But Ethan, what team do you think is going to end up pulling the trigger and trading for him? Yeah, I'm actually in total agreement with you. I mean, the Raiders have done a lot of great things this uh, this offseason. I mean, you get it, Chandler Jones. You bring in Devontae Adams, two of the best players at their respective positions. I mean, that's nothing to slouch at. But you look at their secondary, you can tell they're missing a bit of that oomph that other teams in their um, division have, maybe besides the Chiefs. So, yeah, I think that the Raiders will be a really nice fit, especially because I feel like they could get him for maybe like a three or a four, nothing too crazy. The only question would be just taking on his contract, which I could probably see getting him restructured. But even so, I think the Raiders would be a great fit. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery, heading back up to the Pacific Northwest and talking the Seattle Seahawks. Now, after the trade of Russell Wilson, it's clear that pretty much anybody you bring in if you're Seattle is going to be a downgrade. However, the Seahawks front office is fully invested in building a team around Drew Locke. They have taken calls on wide receivers DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but haven't been blown away with an offer yet and will retain them as part of the rebuild heading into the season. So, believable or buffoonery. The Seahawks are making the decision, riding it out with Drew Locke this year. I bet they are all they're making the right decision. Or... 
do you feel like they're making the believable when they're making the right decision doing it? Uh, I'm going to say believable. And the only reason being is because if you gain one season of right, if you gain one season of committing to Drew Lock and you see that he's not that guy, you can just get You can honestly do whatever you need. You can draft another quarterback. The honest truth is this quarterback draft class isn't that great, so there's no point in wasting picks. And if it gets to the point to where you see what you have, you can trade a DK Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett and potentially get better draft compensation to look for the quarterback, your quarterback of the future. So I think for the time being, it's good to ride it out just to see what you actually might have. Because you never know. I mean, you get him with the right quarterback's coach and in the right room, you might actually unlock his potential um, But that they couldn't do in Denver. And you also pairing him up with some really good weapons in Tyler Lockett and DK. You also have um, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny there. Like, I think it's a smart move, at least for one year, just to see what you actually have. Yeah, I'm saying believable as well. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like Drew Locke is some amazing quarterback, but it could be worse. I mean, and plus, if you look at what the Seahawks have on their roster offensively right now, he will have solid people around him. For example, he has a familiar tight end in Noah Fant, uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, of course, are no slouches at all. Um, Run game, Rashad Penny had a great close to his season. Chris Carson is solid when he's healthy. So the Seahawks offense does have talent there, and I feel like with – even with Seattle, I don't think it will be as much pressure for Drew Locke because, I mean, when he was in Denver, he was a second-round pick, was expected to eventually become their future starter, and it didn't work out. In Seattle, I think that worst comes to worst, he's a bridge quarterback. Best-case scenario, he ends up playing a little bit, and they go from there. So, as you mentioned, this draft class isn't good enough to really go all-in on a quarterback. So, because of that, I think they'd be perfectly fine riding out with Drew Locke and just waiting until next year. But all right, let's move on to the AFC East. Another team that's been making a lot of big moves are the Miami Dolphins. As we all know, made the big trade for Tyreek Hill, re-signing Manuel Ogba. Have done some solid things. However, Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN still is not drinking their Kool-Aid and said, I've never been in on Tua. That's why I think the Patriots are are a better team than the Dolphins. They have the best Alabama quarterback. He added, outside of Davis Mills and Mitch Trubisky, I'm not sure what other quarterback would be in front of the of he would be in front of in the AFC. His play has been average at best. I've never exactly been the biggest fan of Tua either, but it is believable or buffoonery. The Patriots are a better overall team than the Dolphins. Uh, I'm going to say buffoonery because the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins and the Patriots defense, they're very comfortable I think the only the offenses, the only thing that separates them is the Patriots they have a good quarterback but they don't have great weapons. The Dolphins they have great weapons but they don't have a good quarterback. So in a sense, with those things being said, in my opinion, they're kind of in the same level in the same level of like being a team where it's like they're they're going to be middle of the pack playoff team. They're not going to be expected to probably make it out of I'd say buffoonery as well. I think that on paper, the Dolphins do have a better roster. But the thing about the Dolphins is, on paper, they should be one thing. And then on the other hand, you see the Patriots and you think, oh, they're not going to be that great. And they overperform. They outperform their expectations. I mean, I think last year was a prime example for that because at one point they were a top two seed in the AFC, which I think that can't be ignored or denied. And so with that being said, I really feel like I'm going to give the nod to the Dolphins as of right now. But realistically, I do not think that they finish higher than the Patriots this upcoming season. And I'm not going to put it totally all on Tua. I just see they have the toys. They have the pieces. I just don't know exactly how they're all going to fit together. Uh, Speaking of making things fit, 
Taysom Hill last year was the most investment they had at him in the quarterback position. But a uh, new head coach for the Saints, Dennis Allen, said, yeah, that's not happening anymore. Uh, he recently revealed that Taysom Hill is primarily going to be playing a tight end this season. Um, in his time at tight end, he's gotten 53 targets, caught 39 balls for 420 yards and nine receiving touchdowns. That's not that bad, truthfully so. Believable or buffoonery. Taysom Hill will thrive at tight end for the Saints. I'm going to say believable because Taysom Hill has proven that he's – I think the big thing for him is everyone wants him to be a quarterback – but he's proven time and time again that he's just a football player. He's one of those guys that you can put him at tight end, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, and he's capable of making plays. And I think that he's going to he's going to have some good some good moments at tight end, and especially given his skill set to where they can move him around still, even though he's listed at tight end, and he'll still be able to thrive and make plays. Yeah, I think so too, especially if the Saints are able to bring in another wide receiver. I think that that'd be a great move because you get Michael Thomas, whoever else they bring in, Alvin Kamara, and then Taysom Hill can not exactly come be that element of surprise, but he could definitely be somebody who you not don't ex- exactly expect to stretch the field, but can do it. I mean, he's one of the most versatile players in the league, and I think that at tight end, he can really show that versatility off, and I think that it's going to be a really good move for him and – I think it's going to really help set up this Saints offense into being something pretty dynamic if they can, uh, like I said, if they can bring in someone else. All right, last piece before we move on to the NFL. Uh, Phillip Rivers was one of those guys who you either loved him or you hated him, had a really solid several seasons with the Los, well, San Diego Chargers in his time, then spent that one year in Indy. A lot of people thought he could have potentially come back last season, but he did not. And so, of course, when you look at quarterbacks, it's always a question of, are they a Hall of Famer? In the case of his former teammate, cornerback Casey Hayward, he says yes. He says, no question, you can't name 12 quarterbacks all time better than Phillip Rivers. Now, I'm not going to have you try to name 12 better quarterbacks than Phillip Rivers, but believable or buffoonery, Phillip Rivers is going to be a Hall of Famer. Okay, bet. Because I would say buffoonery. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He's not. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Not Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Peyton Manning. Uh, Roger Staubach. Dan Perino. Uh, Troy Aikman. Joy Ma- Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Uh, That's eight. That's eight. I don't really know quarterback, so I'm trying to think of the ones that I just know. I'd go Steve that. Young. That's nine. Uh, Terry Bradshaw. That's ten. Well, looking at his class, the 2004 class, it was the big three of... All right, well, that's 12. There you go. Yeah, we're in agreement, though. I would also say no. I think that Phillip Rivers was a very good quarterback, but I just don't... I can't say he's done anything to elevate him in the conversation of being one of the greatest to ever step on the field. Because, I mean, never even in his time playing, there was never a time when he was the best quarterback in the league. He'd be good, but no. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Ethan, your top three takeaways from this past week of action. Top three takeaways. The Suns are a well-oiled machine. Now they have Chris Paul back, which makes them even more dangerous. And he looks to be healthy. Um, Grizzlies, speaking of a well known machine, they are, they seem to be the best team in the NBA outside of the Suns, even when John Moran isn't playing. And, uh, I think me, me and you talked about it a little bit off air, but I think Giannis, this recent stretch of games, Giannis made a big strong case for his, um, his place in the NBA. 
Well, I'm happy you actually mentioned Giannis because that's actually my Eastern Mamba player of the week. I mean, you kind of mentioned this last stretch has been amazing. And, yeah, we did talk about it after that um, game against Philly. I mean, he just reminded everybody that he's a monster. And when you're a great player, we, everybody just gets so used to you being great. It's not a it's not a story anymore. And so I think that Giannis definitely deserves some uh, respect for how he's been playing as of late. on that all right let's go ahead and move on to uh the western mamba player of the week for me i'm going to Koli Jokic, another standout big man i mean i'm not like i said i'm still banging the drum for joel Embiid for winning mvp but i think everybody knows that you take nicole Jokic off the denver nuggets they do not have the excess that they have I mean Nicole Jokic has been balling this past game against the Pacers 37 and 13 triple double against the Hornets damn near a triple double again against the Thunder I mean just everything Nicole Jokic does he makes it look so effortless Moving on to my rookie Mamba of the week. Once again, showing love to Kay Cunningham. Uh, dropped a season-high 34 points last night against the Nets. I mean, he's just been on an offensive explosion as of late. And like I said, I think that Evan Mobley has kind of put his foot in the race for the uh, rookie of the year. But I think Kay Cunningham definitely has shown that he is a bad, bad man. could definitely see you on that all right let's go ahead and move on let's look at the current nba playoff pictures if the season ended right now uh the number one seeded uh miami heat number two will be the milwaukee bucks three uh philadelphia 76ers four boston celtics five chicago bulls six toronto raptors um the teams that will be in the play-in number seven cleveland cavaliers eight brooklyn nets nine charlotte hornets and ten atlanta hawks so looking at um what we know so far with the playoffs in your opinion ethan just what would you probably say is the biggest surprise? What would you say is the biggest biggest disappointment? Just looking at it like this. The biggest disappointment is definitely 
just now being able to play full time. But even when he wasn't playing, they had Kevin Durant and James Harden. And I also understand that, like, during that time frame, they had drastic injuries. So, like, say Kevin Durant, he missed a major chunk of games, but I thought they still would have at least been able to be um, higher than eighth. No, not eighth. Yeah. Yeah, they're eighth. And then another question was like, what would you probably say is the biggest surprise for the standings right now? Biggest surprise, the fact that the Celtics bounced back. Yeah. Um, early in this season, it looked like the Celtics, like they might be, they might have been in the play willing to break up their team and blow it all up. It was definitely trade rumors coming out that people were looking to see if they can get Jalen Brown. Um, and now that they flipped that around and been a resurgent team, like they – for at least a game or two, they were number one in the Eastern Conference. And to see them being one of the bottom-feeding teams, the people were like, hey, they're not even going to make the playoffs. And now they're still in position to vie for the top seed in the East. Like, this definitely a surprise. And you know what? I mean, with regards to the disappointment, I'm totally in agreement with you with the Nets. I don't have much more to add to that. But a surprise, I would say the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, this is a team that, yes, we knew that they had a lot of young talent. But the question was, how would they be able to, you know, cultivate that and be able to get the most out of it? And they've done that so far. As of right now, like I mentioned, they will be in the play-in. Um, and I could, I think that the Nets, I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but I would be shocked if they did not make the playoffs. But, I mean – Considering the other three teams available, I think that the Cavaliers right now might be have the next strongest chance to be in the play-in and win those games. So, with that being said, I think that I think that the Cavaliers have really helped to turn the corner. Because I mean, of course, everybody was just so fixated on oh they they won't be good after LeBron is left. Well, it's been a few years, but they finally started to right the ship. All right, let's go ahead and look at the Western Conference side of things and. As a Lakers fan, I'd rather not. Uh, number one seed, Phoenix Suns. Uh, number two seed, Memphis Grizzlies. Three seed, Dallas Mavericks. Fourth seed, Golden State Warriors. Fifth seed, Denver Nuggets. Sixth seed, Utah Jazz. Seventh seed, Minnesota Timberwolves. Eighth seed, Los Angeles Clippers. Ninth seed, uh, New Orleans Pelicans. And tenth seed, Los Angeles Lakers. So same questions looking at the biggest surprises and then the biggest disappointments. And why is the biggest disappointment the Lakers? season had them 
they didn't even have they had them like maybe making the play at best and they've steadily improved but they also this year they just made a huge leap that honestly and truly if you're a fan of the Grizzlies you were expecting them to make maybe a couple years from now but not this year and then just the depth to be able to honestly stick win more games without your best player than with your best player there on pace like it has to be the Grizzlies because a lot like if you're looking at their um their their preseason projections they've surpassed that by a uh, landslide. Yeah, I mean, starting off with the biggest surprise, I'd have to say the Grizzlies as well, especially because, as you mentioned, they've had so much success without having their best player on the court. They're, what, 17-2, 18-2 with that when Ja doesn't play? Yeah. Now, mind you, if you flip those two numbers, they're in, as you mentioned, they're in that play-in spot. They are struggling to make the playoffs, but the fact that the Grizzlies have went from a team that, like you mentioned, like might have been a player in team, yeah, Ja is cool, but we don't know how their team is going to work collectively, to seeing them having one of the best records in the league, that's a major amount of growth, especially considering this is a team that, in if you look top to bottom, doesn't have as much talent as you look at a team like the Lakers or the Warriors um, looking or the Suns, possibly, if you look at just the Western Conference, and yet they still find ways to have that success, which I think is what makes them more impressive to even watch just because they don't need star after star after star to keep balling out the way that they have. But, yeah, in terms of disappointment, I mean, I kind of touched on it a bit when we were talking about Giannis, but, like, when a player is just so good at what they do, we get used to them doing it and so when they're not doing it it's like what is going on and that's kind of what's going on with LeBron and the Lakers we're so used to him carrying not great teams to the playoffs that we just kind of take advantage of it we we don't marvel and recognize how big it is and so this year with him battling injuries and the team just not having that chemistry we're seeing a completely different side to the Lakers and we're seeing a different for the first time when like LeBron James is like He's not enough to do it. And so it's really crazy to think. But, yeah, no, it's been very disappointing to be a Lakers fan right now. But, all right, let's go ahead and look at the upcoming All-Star game, which in, for me, it was a bit of a surprise. But the it was announced that the Utah Jazz will be hosting the 2023 All-Star game. Not exactly the most exciting place on earth. But, Ethan, how do you feel about this, that decision? Do you think that it is a good move for Utah to host the game? Uh, I think it's a good move to just go ahead and get it knocked out so you can go back to more exciting cities. So, uh, I mean, Utah I mean, Utah has a lot of basketball history, and it is one of the places that it's a city that doesn't have any other sports team. There's, like, a major sports team. Like, they don't have a football team. They don't have a basketball a baseball team, I'm sorry. The only thing that they really have is the Utah Jazz and the, um, I forgot their college team's name, but the Utah Utes, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it could be dope in that sense, but as far as the whole uh, entertainment aspect, I don't know how entertaining it's going to be because Utah is a very bland city. In addition to that, it's kind of like how I feel about Buffalo Bills fans. I don't really want Utah fans to have much of anything. Like, we, there are definitely problematic fan bases, but for opposing teams, it's one thing to, like, jeer and, like, boo your competition, but Jazz fans get pretty disrespectful. So I just feel like it's not exactly going to be the most inviting environment for players, like I said, who don't play for the Jazz. So in – just minus, you know, adding it to the fact there's not that much um, entertainment value. I don't know how great of an all-star weekend it's going to be in Salt Lake City, but my expectations are very low. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some injury news. I mean, with the season nearing a close, several players have already been shut down for the year. The Blazers, who have been effective, who are nearly um, knocked out of playoff contention entirely, have shut down the seasons of Anthony Simmons, Uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Eric Bledsoe um, another team that has shut down players has been the uh, 
sorry, my brain doesn't work. Golden State Warriors, who shut down James Wiseman for the rest of the season and which will allow him to continue to rehab his right knee, something that has been bothering him since early on in his rookie year. And the Oklahoma City Thunder, another team eliminated from playoff contention, has shut down Shy Gilgis Alexander and their rookie Josh Giddy for the rest of the year. But and then for a team that actually is playing for something, uh, the Celtics have lost Robert Williams, starting center, with a torn meniscus in his right knee, which is going to sideline him for the next several weeks. Now, Ethan, as you mentioned, you know the Celtics have made a major turnaround from where they started early in the year. So, what do you feel like Robert Williams's uh, absence is going to affect them, especially with the playoffs right around the corner? It's going. I think it's going to affect them on the defensive side of the football. I mean, the football, I'm sorry, whoa. The defensive side of the um, of the court because a big reason why the Celtics, they made this huge turnaround is because they, over their time period, they became one of, if not the best defensive team in the NBA. And Robert Williams had a key role in it because they they played this lineup where they start Al Horford at center and they start Robert Williams at power forward. And you, with him being in that position, they just they just make him roam and block shots because, granted, he was always he's an undersized big in a sense of a center and a power forward. He's he's only listed at six eight, but he has um he can jump out of the gym, and he can affect shots, and I think that's where they're going to miss him the most, and they're also going to miss him somewhat on the offensive end because he's a guy that he finished. Finishes plays, you can you can see him roll hard to the basket. He catches lobs, and he makes and he just finishes around the basket. So I think, but primarily, he's going to be greatly missed on the defensive side of the ball because it's like now you might who are you going to put in his place? Are you going to put Daniel Tyson in his place? And if you do, Daniel Tyson is he's slow of foot. You can put him um you can put him in a pick and roll and you. And they switch, and he can't guard guards, something that Robin Williams could do. So I definitely think that they're going to miss his presence on the defensive side. Most deaf. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. When asked about a potential contract extension, Kyrie Irving made it clear that he had no intentions of leaving Kevin Durant in Brooklyn and he would be eligible to sign a five-year, $246 million contract extension of this upcoming offseason. So, believable or buffoonery, there is no doubt that Kyrie will be resigning with the Nets. I think it is no doubt that he's resigning. I think that now that the James Harden saga is gone and that this vaccine mandate now the drama that came around it is gone, I think he's willing, he's going to be willing to sign back because, I mean, he's basically technically playing with his best friend in Kevin Durant. Yep, I would say believable as well. I mean, yes, in the standings right now, the Nets are not exactly as high as they want to be, but realistically, I mean – they're still a great team. And, I mean, if you're Kyrie, what other team do you fit as well with than the Nets? I don't think it makes much sense to leave. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to the Warriors, a team who early on in the year looked like they were primed for a finals appearance. Steph Curry looked like the best player in the league. And then everything started to wind down as injuries began to mount up, so much so that Monica McNutt on first take said, um, with regards to their opportunity as a serious title contender said, the door is closed. This, to me, is not a knock on anything the Warriors have done, but all good things have to come to an end. As previously mentioned, Draymond Green was out for a substantial amount of time due to injury. Right now, uh, Steph Curry is out for an undetermined amount of time. And with this team only getting older, believable or buffoonery, the Warriors' title window has closed. Um, I don't think it's closed because I think that tomorrow Steph is getting reevaluated for the sore foot. Draymond is back and like he he still they're not I know that he's not playing back to backs, but once you get to the playoffs, you get games, you get days of rest in between games. So I still think that their chance their window was open. I'll say believable that it's open, but I don't think it's as wide 
as other teams. Like, I feel like the Western Conference has so many good teams, but it's like there's only a handful that I could realistically see making the finals. And the Warriors are kind of on that cusp of it, but like, you know, being mentioned, like, Injuries have played a big role in this team, and I understand them not wanting to rush everybody back. Like you mentioned, on a positive note, in the playoffs, they will get breaks in between games, which will definitely be helping to kind of get them back right. But even still, I just – if you had to ask me if I thought they were definitely going to the finals, it would be a hard no. As of right now, if I had to pick, I'd probably go Suns. But I could still see the Warriors doing it, but it would not be as – as clear of a path as it was if you would ask me a couple months ago. But all right, speaking of unclear paths, things are looking a bit rocky in the Big Apple regarding Julius Randle. After having a all-star caliber season a year ago, this year has been a bit of a letdown, and it seems that everyone has noticed it, even uh, Randle himself. Reports came out early this week that some people around the league believe Julius Randle could try to force his way onto a new team, similar to what James Harden did. Uh, one source said that sometimes Randle dresses by himself in another area of the locker room. Now, now, this year, uh, Randall's averaged 20 points, 9.9 rebounds, 5.1 assists per game, um, and he's been playing 72 games. So he's been around, just not totally effective. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, this will be Julius Randall's last season with the Knicks. Believable. Um, I think that throughout the course of the season, he's shown to be frustrated with the team. I mean, and the fans. I mean, Maybe a month or two ago, it was the whole incident of him putting the thumb down to the fan that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in New York. Mm-hmm. And he had his comments talking about how um, the fans were booing him, and that's why he did it. So I definitely think that this is going to be his last season because I think that he he um he just I, I guess the word is fed up, but he just feels some type of way. I mean, I I also find it believable. I think that. We think of, like, teams like the Lakers. That's a hard place to play because everybody's so critical. Philly, their fan base so critical. But New York is another one of those harder places. And when you get them back to the play for playoffs for the first time in, what, almost 10 years, of course the fans are going to feel some type of way. And so when you're not having that same success the next year, they're going to be frustrated. And, I mean, the Knicks overall have been a bit of a disappointment. But when you're considered their best player, a la uh, Julius Randle, you're going to catch the brunt of it even more. And I don't I don't think he can really handle it. And, I mean, that's not, the, not a knock against him. It's just the extra pressures that come in playing with New York. I don't think he wants any more parts of it, and I think he does end up leaving. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight, March 31st. March literally flew by. Um, so, starting off with the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Detroit Pistons, I'm going 76ers. I'm going 76ers. Milwaukee Bucks versus the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to go Bucks. Bucks. All right, Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to go Hawks. Los Angeles Clippers versus the Chicago Bulls. I'm going to go Bulls. Bulls. And last but not least, well, maybe, Los Angeles Lakers versus the Utah Jazz. I'm not picking the Lakers to win anything. I got Jazz. Jazz. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the WWE and make our predictions for WrestleMania. All right, it's time to make WrestleMania picks. And just so you guys know, Still have hardly watched much SmackDown, but it's fine. We're going to figure it out. So starting off with night one of WrestleMania, The Miz and Logan Paul taking on the Mysterios. I'm going Mysterios. I think that while the whole Logan Paul thing is cool and, you know, you get to bring in a YouTube star, quote unquote, I don't know what he does. I think the Mysterios still pull it out just because, I mean, continuity and because they're better. I like honestly last year I don't remember what happened in Logan Paul's last match. I think he lost, but don't quote me. Uh Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin. I'm going Drew McIntyre. I mean, Happy Corbin has been dodging Drew for months and now uh this weekend is finally his chance to get his hands on him. Uh Seth Rollins versus TBA. I think everybody's going Cody Rhodes. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be Cody Rhodes, but I'm still gonna pick Seth Rollins. Like 
I know WWE likes to do that thing where they debut somebody and it's like, oh, snap, it's blankety, blankety, blank. They're going to win. In this case, I think that I'm going to go Seth. I think that Vince still has that little bit of ego about him where it's like, nah, this is my company and I just want to give you like one last screw you to AEW and then we can move on. So why not do it at the greatest stage of them all? Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos defending their titles against Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura. This is tough because I could very feasibly see the Usos losing this match, but I'm still going to go Usos. I just think that right now there's not a more present tag team than the Usos. RK Bro is a very close second, but I feel like when you see the Usos, you know what they're about. You know what they're going to deliver. You know who they are. You don't have to worry about them turning on each other. Like They are a tag team. And Rick Boos and Shinsuke, I just don't know when, how often they're really going to you know, defend their titles, how much longer they're going to actually be around. All right, SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey. Charlotte, because screw Ronda. And finally, the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch defending her title against Bianca Belair. I have been saying it for months. I've been saying it since SummerSlam. This is the night that Bianca gets her lick back after the embarrassing and disrespectful way she lost her women's Raw Women's Championship to Becky Lynch that last August. I think that finally she gets her commitment up and she gets her respect and she puts on yet another banger because she is the EST of WWE. Moving on to night two, Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville in an anything goes match. I'm going Sami Zayn. Sammy needs to win. And plus, I mean, it's not like Johnny Knoxville is going to come back anymore. I mean, they already promoted the movie. The movie's been out. Who cares? Just give Sammy his win, make it an entertaining spectacle, and call it a day. Uh, moving on to Bobby Lashley versus Almost. Bobby Lashley returns for the first time since Elimination Chamber, which is always a plus. We love seeing Bobby. I don't think this match is going to be great or maybe even good, but I think big man Bobby is going to take down Almost and show that uh, the almighty still reigns. Uh, next up, the Raw Tag Team Championship. RK Bro defend their title in a triple threat against the Street Profits and Alpha Academy. As much as I want to say the Street Profits, and I do, I really do, I'm still going to go RK Bro because I feel like they're not going to lose it yet because they may not want to set up a heel turn for Randy. Even though I can't wait till they have Randy versus Matt Riddle because they're really good wrestlers. But for right now, I'm going to say RK Bro, and we'll get that turn later on. Uh, moving on to Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. This was definitely one of the harder ones to predict because on the one hand, Pat McAfee is really talented in the ring, and I think that it will be a kind of like, like you know, screw you to Austin Theory who's like been a jackass to everyone. But on the other hand, Austin Theory is the actual full-time wrestler, so how much sense would it make to have him lose? So in looking at it from that perspective, I'm kind of just like mentally flipping a coin, and I'm just going to go Pat McAfee. All right, the Women's Tag Team Championship Fatal 4-Way. We have Queen Zelina and Carmella defending their titles against Naomi and Sasha Banks, Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, Natalia and Shayna Baszler. Truthfully, I was cool with this match when it was just, you know, Queen Zelina and Carmella versus Naomi and Sasha Banks. But they just wanted to add in makeshift tag team after makeshift tag team. That's no disrespect because I love me some Rhea Ripley and I think Shayna Baylor's the bomb. But I think that it really just going to come down to Queen Zelina and Carmella or Naomi and Sasha Banks. And I'm going with Naomi and Sasha Banks because kind of similar to RK, bro. I really want to see them have a match and I want to see Sasha turn heel on her. Which could happen if they lose, but I think they become champs first. Uh, moving on to Edge versus AJ Styles. I'm going heel Edge. I love heel Edge 10 out of 10 times. And while I could, this is another one I could see it going either way. I think that Edge pulls it out. He has a new demeanor. He has a new attitude. He's saying, F you fans. I am the decider or whatever his thing is now. Either way, it's cool. And... I'm riding with it. I think that it works. And I mean, to add more legitimacy to that, you got to have them beat AJ Styles. And finally, title versus title, the Unification Championship, a.k.a. the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, which they said so many times, and this is easily not the biggest WrestleMania match. But we have the Universal Champion, Roman Reigns, versus Brock Lesnar, the WWE Champion. To be fair, this is probably the... 
one time in however many days, 500, almost 600 days of Roman's reign where I'm like, okay, I could feasibly see Roman losing. But he's not going to. He's going to win because he's the man. And also, I think Brock just like rides off into the sunset. And he ain't got no, He has nothing better to do. It's fine. But yeah, those are my WrestleMania 38 predictions. Please be sure to let me know your predictions, what you think, all that good stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I'm Raven X. That was Biggie. Love him to death. Happy anniversary to him and Aiden. Love them as a couple. Gonna keep praying for them. One the best for them, as I am for all of you. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.